Well, hi, kids. This is Bob Bro. Welcome to the Best Old Time Radio Podcast. This week, we're doing an archive show. This is a Boomer Boulevard show that we're going to play for you. And it was first broadcast back on February the 12th in 2018. Hope you enjoy it. It's half past eight exactly, Mr. Dillon. I better get it out of the safe now. Chester. I'm ready whenever you are, Mr. Dillon. All right, let's go. Ah, yes. Never mind the fact that it's 22 degrees outside. Never mind the fact that, as you just heard, Chester and I are both fighting horrible colds. Fortunately, it's not the flu. No temperature, right, Chester? But why should we be different from the rest of the country? Everybody's fighting colds this time of year, aren't they? Anyway, we're still persevering, and we're coming up with a new show for this, uh, this week. And we've got a good one. Hi, everybody. This is Bob Bro. Welcome to Boomer Boulevard. This is the podcast where we play old-time radio shows we actually remember from when we were kids. Why? Because we're baby boomers. And a lot of these shows we might remember from television, but many of them we remember listening to on the radio. Tonight, we have an Alux Radio Theater. And I do remember listening to some of these on the radio when I was a kid. Now, this one goes all the way back to 1940, which I don't usually go back that far. But it's a Western, and it features Gary Cooper and Walter Brennan, who we definitely remember from when we were kids. And this one kind of has a sentimental attachment to me, and I'll talk a little bit about that later. But it's a good one. It's called The Westerner. Outstanding, outstanding story about hanging Judge Roy Bean. Then we're going to follow that up with a very funny episode of Jack Benny, where he's sick in bed with a cold. And then we're going to follow that up with uh, a very memorable character, you're going to meet on tonight's uh, episode of Gunsmoke. So we have a good lineup. Let's get bundled up, get some hot coffee, grab a a comfortable chair in front of the fireplace and settle in because we're going to get started in just a minute.
Well, to get things started this week, we are going to have an episode of the Lux Radio Theater. It originally was broadcast way back in 1940. Now, normally I don't play shows that go back that far because uh, they're, you know, before our boomer lifetime. But the fact of the matter is, this is a Western. And I remember watching this movie on television with my mother on the Fabulous 52, the late night movie on Saturday nights on Channel 2 in Los Angeles. And that was probably back in the early to mid-60s. And this uh, was based on a film that starred Gary Cooper and Walter Brennan. Walter Brennan won the first of his three Academy Awards for Best Supporting Actor, playing Judge Roy Bean in this film. The sound quality was pretty good, so I thought, what the heck? Let's just go ahead and play a show from 1940. It's not going to make much difference to anybody else. So I think you're really going to enjoy this one. So lean back, relax, and listen to Lux Radio Theater from September the 23rd, 1940, with a truly classic, classic Western starring Gary Cooper and Walter Brennan, and it doesn't get much better than that. The Western. Lux presents Hollywood. The Lux Radio Theater brings you Gary Cooper in The Westerner with Walter Brennan and Doris Davenport. Ladies and gentlemen, your producer, Mr. Cecil B. DeMille. Greetings from Hollywood, ladies and gentlemen. I have a telegram here from Helen Hayes. She says best wishes to you and the Lux Radio Theater. May your seventh season be so good it surpasses the other six. That's just like Helen Hayes, wishing good to others. So this seems the right time, Helen, to wish you all success in your new program. But it'll be hard to top the performances you've given us in the past. I'm going to be one of your listeners next Sunday night, September 29th. I wouldn't miss the Helen Hayes opening broadcast on the CBS network for anything in the world. Good luck, Helen. We'll be listening. A few weeks ago, on a flight across this continent, I had a bird's-eye view of the jagged mountains and broad plains, the quiet towns and bustling cities, the haystacks and the smokestacks, a bird's-eye view of, of America. It was a panorama of achievement, a vision of freedom fulfilled. There was a script in my hand that went well with what I saw. It was the script of tonight's play, The Westerner, a play about some of the men who dreamed America and made the dream come true. To those men, Samuel Goldwyn paid a tribute in his motion picture just released. And to them, we dedicate this radio production with the same stars you'll see on the screen. Gary Cooper, Walter Brennan, and Doris Davenport. The Westerner is a story of the march of empire toward the setting sun of men who shoot first and ask questions later. It's the story of one man in particular in this rough scramble for land and power, a man with a sense of justice and a way with a gun. His name is Cole Harden, and he's played tonight by Gary Cooper. Ordinarily, Gary is no easier to pin down for a date at a microphone than he is for a speech at a banquet. But this time, I had him right in the cast of my Northwest Mounted Police, and I got my man. We're proud to present a play like the Westerner because it's part of the old American tradition. As our curtain rises, it's a signal for action, romance, and excitement. We begin Act One of the Westerner, starring Gary Cooper as Cole Harden, 
with Walter Brennan as Judge Roy Bean and Doris Davenport as Jane Ellen Matthews. In the throes of rebirth after the war between the states, America moved west where the land was free. First came the cattlemen, and with them, Judge Roy Bean, who took the law into his own hands, administering justice according to his lights. His court was a barroom. His sentences were swift and to the point, the strong limb of a tree and six feet of rope. Then into his stronghold moved another army, the homesteaders, who plowed the soil and fenced the field to bring security to their wives and children. War was inevitable, a war out of which grew the Texas of today, and the bloodiest battleground of that war was west of the Pecos. Indeed. All set, Judge. We're ready to swing the homesteader. Chad Wilkins, you've been tried and found guilty of the most serious crime west of the Pecos. To wit, shooting a steer. Got anything to save yourself for the sentence this court's executed? I told you those cowherders shot at me first. I didn't mean to kill that steer on purpose. I was aiming at the man. It's your bad luck you missed him. That's the trouble with you sodbusters. You can't shoot straight. But when I move that horse out from under you, by gobs, you'll hang straight. Chad Wilkins, may the Lord have mercy on your soul. Ah! All right, boys. Everybody over at the bar. The drinks are on me. That's what I like to hear. Come on over to the bar, fellas. <laughs> now, I'll propose a toast to the greatest woman in the world. There's a picture right up there. To the fairest flower that ever bloomed. Miss Lily Langtree. Hold it, boys, hold it. You there, stranger. Why aren't you drinking? Didn't you hear the toast? Yes, Lily Langtree. I thought you meant your friends. I, I didn't know that included me. And that includes every man that drinks at my bar. Yeah, glad to join you. Have, you. have you ever met Miss Langtree, Judge? No, I never met her. I never met the sun, I never shook hands with the moon, and I've never been introduced to no class. Hey, that's all right. Too bad Lily Langtree couldn't have heard that. Did you ever see her? No. No, I was in England once when she was playing at the Empire, but I... Well, I didn't get around to it. Oh, you was in England once, and you could have seen her, but you never got around it, yeah. huh? Get out of my bar. Huh? Well, well, get out I... of my bar. Go on, get! Yeah, yeah, sure, sure, I didn't... Go on! Anything. I just... <laughs> yes, sir. <laughs> <laughs> to the Jersey Lily, boys. <laughs> Miss Lily Langtree. <laughs> Hey, what's going on out there, Chickenfoot? Looks to me like Blackjack's bringing in another prisoner. Prisoner, huh? Hand me my law books under the bar. Get in there, go on, keep moving. Give us room, boys. What you got there, Blackjack? A horse thief, Judge. Prisoner to the bar. Chickenfoot, the law. Order in the court. Here you hear your court of vinegar own now in session. Where's the prisoner? Which one's the prisoner? I guess you're talking about me. Are you Judge Bean? Mm, that's right, why? Well, nothing much. I've heard of you. So there's a lot of people. What's the charge, Blackjack? We caught him on Chickenfoot's horse. It was stole last week. A horse, Pete? Where's he at? Right outside. Let me see. Let me see. Well, so it is, Pete. Guess we got a case, all right. People of Vinegaroon again, uh, you can use any name you like. Cole Harden. What are you doing in Vinegaroon? Oh, just passing through. Homesteader? No. Where do you hear from? Well, no place particular. Where are you heading for? No place special. Oh, Saddlebum, huh? Well, it's all right to live on a horse if it's your own horse. 
Chicken foot, swear him in. You swear to tell the truth, the whole truth, nothing but the truth shall help you? Take off your hat. Now, cold hide, and I'll tell you. Just a minute. Here, here, order. What do you want in here? Are you Bean? Yes, ma'am, Judge Roy W. Bean. My name's Jane Ellen Matthews. Yes, Miss Matthews, what can I do for you? What have you done with Shad Wilkins? Shad Wilkins? He was working in the fields when some of your wranglers came up and took him away. Shad Wilkins, Shad Wilkins. Oh, yeah. He was hanging around out here a while back, but he ain't around now. Your men not only took him away, but they tore down the fence. Not a stick of it was left standing. That's so? Yes, that's so, and you needn't pretend you don't know about it. Well, it don't surprise me none. It's again the law to build fences hereabouts. What law? Whose law? Mine. Now you listen to me, Mr. Bean. Judge Bean. You're no more a judge than I am. I wouldn't say that if now was you. I might consider it contempt of court. It's contempt, all right. You call this a court? I do, and it happens to be in session right now. Southeast, get the young lady a chair. Now you sit down, Matthews, and I'll tend to your case in a minute. Cole Harden, you're charged with stealing a horse. Guilty or not guilty? Not guilty. Where's Exhibit A? Huh? Where's the horse? Bring in the horse, chicken foot. Oh, oh, yeah, yeah, sure. Look out. Miss Matthews, when cattle can't get to water, they die. There's miles of river on each side of our homestead. This country's unfenced rangeland. It all this was and all this will be. Get in there. Get in there. Oh, man. Oh. All right, Judge. There he is. Oh, boy. Oh. Cole Hodden, it's my duty to inform you that the last of an equine is a capital offense, punishable by death. But you can rest assured that in this court, a horse thief always gets a fair trial before he's hung. Chicken Foot, that's your horse? Hmm? Oh, sure he is. Ownership of the horse clearly established. It belongs to Chicken Foot. That's my ruling. Well, I don't contest it, Your Honor. Maybe the horse does belong to a chicken foot here, but I didn't steal it. How'd you get it, then? I bought it. <laughs> Order in the court. <laughs> that all you got to see? That's all. No, it's not. I'm not going to stay here and see anybody railroaded like this. Miss Matthews, I don't recollect you as summoned as a witness in this trial. What kind of a trial is it when a prisoner isn't even allowed to have anybody speak for him? You an attorney, miss? I'm as much an attorney as you are a judge. You know this man? No, I don't. Ever seen him before? No, but... Can you prove he didn't steal the horse? No, but... And he don't need no lawyer. This man was caught in a stolen horse, and this jurisdiction has pretty facey evidence. The case is closed, and that's my ruling. Yes, and it's just like all your rulings. The courtroom will now be cleared of everybody, excepting the judge, the jury, the prisoner, and the witnesses. I guess that means you, Miss Matthews. I'll go. I don't want to see any more. Murder, that's what it is. This man hasn't got a chance, and you know it. But you never give anybody a chance. You didn't give us one when you stampeded the cattle over our crops. You thought you'd starve the homesteaders out, but you didn't. You can pester us and rob us and kill us, but you can't stop us. Because there'll always be more coming, more and more. And we'll stay on our farms in spite of you and your courtroom and your killer. By gob, she's all right. She'd make a good cattleman. If it wasn't for Lily, I'd marry her. Gentlemen of the jury, you heard the case. Again, the accused, pro and corn. And now I guess you better retire to consider a verdict. Chicken foot. You better take Pete out for a little fresh air. All right. Take him out, Bart. I got work to do. Jury to the rear. Come on now. Come on, Bart. Take him out there. Easily. You suppose it's all right for the prisoner to take a drink? Why, sure. We don't aim to inflict no cruel or unusual punishment on a man, even if he is a horse thief. Join me, Your Honor. Don't mind if we do. Don't spill none of that liquor, son. It eats right into the bar. Well... Here's to the most beautiful lady, the beautiful lady on the wall, Miss Lily Langtree. Say, is, is that a bullet in her face? Yeah, and the man that fired that bullet was hauled out of here feet first. Is that so? Well, uh, he ought to be. 
Any man that'd shoot at a picture of Lily Langtree ought to be killed. It's just retribution. Hmm. You and admire Miss Lily's, too? Well, that's putting it mildly. Uh, she's the most beautiful woman I ever met. Met? Met? You mean to tell me you met Lily Langtree, the real her in the flesh? Oh, many times. Wonderful actress. How'd you get to know her? Well, that's, uh, well, that's a long story, Judge. Uh, mighty fine liquor. Uh, what do you call it? Rub of the brush. Go on. Did you get to know her real well? It's got character. I said, did you get to know her real well? Now, Judge, a gentleman never discusses a lady in a bar room. Who said it's a bar room? This is a courtroom. Tell me, is she as pretty as them pictures? The picture's never been made that can do justice to Lily Langtree. See, is she good-natured? An angel. <laughs> I'll never forget the night we met. Yeah, go on. What's she like? I'll never forget it as long as I live. Uh, you've been down around Llano Bay, ain't you? Oh, sure. Well, uh, you know how it is at sunset? You can look out, and that water ain't exactly blue, and it ain't exactly purple. It's a kind of color a man can feel, but he can't put a name to. Yeah? Well, that's Lily's eyes. By gobs. How about her hair? Her hair? Oh, well, that's a tough one, Judge. Well, now, well, you know, you know how bright and coppery and gold-like a young chestnut horse is running in the bright sun? Yeah. Well, her hair is something like that in the daytime. You mean it's different at night? Well, not different, but just uh, sort of more so. By gosh. I, uh, <clears throat> I, I got a lock of her hair. But you mean to tell me you actually got the real... Uh, well, I don't suppose you'd ever part with that lock of hair, no matter what a man was willing to give. A man don't trade things like that. Oh, of course not. See, let's have a look at it. Uh, well, uh, I haven't got it with me. Where's it at? It's, uh, it's with my stuff in El Paso. El Paso, huh? Uh-huh. Suppose you could ride for it. Sure. Wouldn't take long to get here by mail coach? Oh, about two or three weeks. Two or three weeks, huh? Yeah, about. Mm-hmm. Jury's ready, Judge. Come on in. Well, what's the verdict? Why, you know what the verdict is. Guilty. Hadn't. There's only one thing it can do. He's sentenced to hang. That's my ruling. Turn loose the prisoner's hands, boy. But, Judge, you just ruled it. I didn't finish my ruling. The court sentenced the prisoner to hang, but the court didn't say when. So long as there's reasonable doubt... What when... reasonable doubt, Judge? We caught him with Chickenfoot's horse. There ain't any room for doubt. Order! I've been talking to the prisoner. He's a friend of Lily Langtree's. Stands to reason no friend of Lily Langtree's goes around stealing horses. Leastways, there's reasonable doubt. His sentence is suspended for, for two or three weeks until I can look into the matter further. That's my ruling. Court's adjourned. Can a man get a drink now? Sure he can. Hi, Evans. Evening, Judge. What'll it be? Jersey Lily Special. Ain't seen you for some time, Evans. Nope. Been up north. Just rode in. Uh, pardon, mister. Yeah? What's yeah. on your mind? I heard you say you've been up north. Say, you don't happen to have a twin brother, do you? No, I haven't. Then maybe you better pay me that money you owe me. You're local, brother. I don't owe you nothing. You owe me $60. Get away from me. $60. Get away, I tell you. Say, look, mister, I don't happen to have a gun on me. But I want that money, and I want it now. Why, you... Let him have it, Evans. Give him room, boys. Give him room. 
know the rules of the court, no interfering in differences of opinion. Hey, that was pretty nice work, Harden. Thanks. Now, uh, with the permission of the court, I'll just take my $60 out of his pocket. Just a minute. I ain't so sure that's legal. Yeah, well, it is in this case. You see, uh, this friend of yours is the man who sold me that horse. What? And he's the fellow that stole it from me. Get him up off that floor. I'll take it easy. Stand right where you are. Look out, Chickenfoot. He's got you covered. Put away that gun, Evans. I'm going out that door. Anybody makes a move, I'll drop him. That goes devil for me. Put down that gun. I'm warning you. Come on, you. You got him, Judge. Right through the heart. That's where I aimed. How much he got in his pockets? Uh, Let me see. Uh, 50, 60... Eighty... Eighty-four dollars and six bits. He's fined $80 for disorderly conduct and four dollars and six bits for carrying concealed weapons. Now you men get some rope and string him up. String him up? Why, he's dead already. We hang horse thieves, don't we? String him up like I tell you. Well, all right. Harden, you can have his horse and outfit. Come on, have a drink. Rubber the brush? Rubber the brush. Say when, son. When? I guess I can match that. When? Well, son, here's to a lock of Miss Lily's hair. That's coming from El Paso. Right. Better have another one on that. Make it a good one this time. Say when, son. When? (laughs) Good boy. Say when. Oh. Morning, Judge. Time to get up. Huh? Who are you? Who are you? Sorry if I woke you. I I was just leaving. Oh, you was. Well, what a... Oh, oh, stranger. Come here, quick. What's the matter? Straighten out my neck, will you? Grab a hold of my head now and jerk it quick. Oh, thank you. Where's my neck? You see, I was hung once, but my friends cut me down in time. Now, when I don't live right, why, the crick comes back on me. Now, who are you, anyhow? What are you doing here? Well, don't you remember? I'm the fellow that filled out the inside straight on one chicken foot's horse. He's waiting outside for me now, saddled and ready to go. Well, uh, so long, Judge. Nice to have met you. One chicken foot's horse. Inside straight. I never saw him before in my life. Man, it's crazy. I... By gobs, that locker here. Hey, you! Come back here! Come back! Come back, you! What's all the excitement, Judge? Get out of my way. I gotta catch that fella. Get me a horse. Anybody's horse. Quick! Hey, you! Pull up that horse! Stop! You hear? Sorry, Judge. I'm in a hurry. Pull up that horse, and by gobs, I'll pull you down off in it. Ha <laughs> ha! Try it! All right, I will. You crazy old... That lock of hair. Lily's hair. You promised right to El Paso for it, don't you remember? We drank on it. When are you going to do it, huh? You ain't going to crawfish. No. The first post office I come to. Oh, oh my neck. Straighten her out, would you, son? Thanks. 
Why, you mangy old scorpion. You might have got us both killed. <laughs> Here, Pete. Come on, feller. That's a boy. Come on now, easy. Hey, son. Where are you going? California. What do you want to go to California for? See the Pacific Ocean. <laughs> Just like the Gulf down at Lano Bay. Mm, it's bigger. Yeah, why don't you stay around Vinegar in a while? We could have a lot of fun together, you and me. We could talk about Lily and... No, I'm on my way. Listen, it's a great country here west of the Pecos. fella could really make something of himself. Why, when I first come here, I didn't have nothing. Now I'm boss of the whole section. That's mighty fine, Judge. You know, you know, I saw the cotton to you the first time I seen you. Why don't you put in with me? Well, I tell you, Judge, it's nice of you to ask me, but I'm heading for California, and uh, nothing short of hanging can stop me. Wait a minute. You can't go. You're under suspended sentence for horse stealing. Why, you hung Evans for that. You're under suspended anyhow. Who are you? What do I know about you? How do I know they ain't looking for you? You're under arrest for disorderly conduct, for, for disturbing the peace, uh, for vagrancy, and, and you're on your way back to town with me, and that's my ruling. Sorry, Judge. Come back here. Thanks for everything. Come back or I'll shoot. No, you won't. I won't, huh? I'll show you. So long. My gobs, he stole my gun. West of the Pecos... The land shall be free for the grazing of cattle. That was Judge Bean's law, enforced by a roaring sixth shooter. On the homestead farms, hired hands dropped their tools and ran, leaving the crops to wither in the sun. Only the braver souls remained to plead and beg and fight, and one of these was Jane Ellen Matthews. You're cowards. That's what you are. Afraid of your own shadows. This is our land. It belongs to us. We have a right to be here, and it's our duty to stay here. We hired out for farm work, miss, not a civil war. There's no fit place to homestead in. Land's no good when there's all this lead flying over it. You'd shoot back, maybe they'd stop bothering we you. We did shoot back. Go to Chad Wilkins, and he ain't a-trying it no more. Chad Wilkins is only one man. My daughter's right in a lot of ways. She says you've a duty to stay, and it is a duty. To open this country, make it free, We're not a lawless. Mr. Matthews, but we don't want no part of it. Come on, Jack. And they call themselves men. I told you what it'd be like, Mr. Matthews. My hands quit the same way yesterday. But you're going to stay. You're not going to leave, Wade. I own my land. I'll stay all right. But we've got to do something and do it fast, so there won't be a hired hand left in the country. Uh, what can we do? We can fight fire with fire. There's enough homesteaders left that feel the same way I do. We can give Judge Bean the same thing he gave Shad Wilkins. No, Wade. That's, that's not the way. Just more killing and more bloodshed. We can't win like that. Maybe. Well, I gotta get over to the farm. Aren't you going to stay for supper? I'll be back. Father. Yes? You suppose Wade meant what he said? Yeah, there's no telling about Wade. I was thinking, though, maybe if some of us did see Roy Bean, appeal to him for justice. Justice. If you'd seen him yesterday pretending to try that prisoner. Well, the man didn't have a chance. He. What's the matter? Oh, that man. The one I was just... I saw him plain as day looking in the window. Well, you're seeing things, Jane Ellen. They hanged that man. I saw him, I tell you. Who's there? Evening. Am I, uh, am I intruding? Oh, no. You, 
You're not. It's, it's just, I, I thought you were a ghost. I, I guess you're partly to blame I'm not. I just stopped by to thank you. Father, this is Mr. Uh... Harden. Welcome, Mr. Harden. You mean to tell me Bean tried you and you didn't hang? Well, uh, your daughter was my lawyer. I guess she's the one that got me off. I knew you weren't a horse thief. Thanks. <laughs> what made you so sure? Oh, I, I just knew. Are you working anywhere, son? No, no, I'm heading for California. I see. Uh, well, Mr. Harden, I suppose a body that's just been hanged is apt to be a bit hungry. You can stay for supper. Well, I don't want to put you out any. Oh, no, not at all. Uh, sit down here, Mr. Harden. Thank you. You're very kind. I think he likes it here, Jane Ellen. Wouldn't surprise me if we've got him. What's he doing now? Out feeding his horse. Looks good and strong. Probably could take the place of two men. I was thinking that. I was also thinking you might add on a little more welcome. How do you mean? Oh, just keep smiling at him. And if it should come up natural-like, you might mention what a handsome man he is. Can't do any harm. Father, I'm not going to. Look out. Everything all right, Harden? Fine, thanks. Good. I'll go see about your bunk. Oh, don't trouble. No trouble at all. Uh, can I uh, give you a hand? Oh, no, thanks. Just sit down and make yourself comfortable. Well, I won't argue with you. If I had to wash dishes, I guess I'd uh, give up eating. Well, what do you do about the dishes when you're home? Home? You mean in a house? Well, you live in a house, don't you? No, ma'am. My house is all out there. All one room with the sky for a roof. <laughs> Pretty big place. Yep, got some space to rent. And California's your next stop, huh? California, yeah, but I don't stop. Oregon next, I guess. Well, all places aren't just the same. Wouldn't you rather stay a little longer in some places? Nope, they're all the same. Beautiful when you leave them. It's, well, it's like the turtles. They carry their houses with them. If I had to build me a house, I'd, I'd have it on wheels. Not me. I'd want my house so that nothing could ever move it. Down so deep that an earthquake couldn't shake it and... A cyclone would be just another wind going by. Well, you say, who wants to be a turtle? And I say, I hope you'll be very happy in your house. Well, I guess I'll be getting along. Oh, uh, say, say, wait a minute. What? I'll bet I know something we would agree on. What's that? Well, in about a week now, we're going to husk the corn. And I'll bet you'll agree that that's fun. Huh? Husking corn fun? Yes. I'd rather wash dishes. Oh, well, it was a fine supper and, and good cooking. Oh, uh, Mr. Harden. Huh? You're a very handsome man, you know. Uh, uh, I doubt that, but I'm a very, very tired one. Good night. Good night. Fine, Mr. Harden. Yeah. Huh. If anybody told me yesterday I'd be playing tag in a cornfield with a lot of cows, I'd... If we had some men that would ride fence, there wouldn't be any cows in the cornfield. That's right, isn't it? You know, uh, you were sure cute last night, Miss Matthews. Well, what was cute about me? Well, in the first place, 
I've never been so welcome anywhere in my life. And when I said I didn't like picking corn, well, <laughs> that was when you were cute. Now you're making fun of me. Well, it's more fun than picking corn. Jane Evans! Harden! Hey, hey, look at your father. I wonder what's up. Father, what is it? I, I tried to stop them. They wouldn't listen to Wade. me. Wade. Oh, yes, it's the wrong thing to do. I begged them not to. Who? What happened? Wade Hopper's rounded up some of the men. The homesteaders, they're going to town to lynch Judge Bean. When did they leave? About an hour ago. They took our wagon. Well, get off that horse, quick. Where are you going? Into town. You back from California already? Hey, you got to get out of here and don't stop for nothing. Did you write to El Paso? Hey, listen, just get on your horse and get because they're after you. Did you write to... Who's after me? The homesteaders. They're going to string you up. Why, that bunch of plow-pushing, sod-busting... They're outside right now. A whole wagon load of them. A wagon load? Why, I can handle a train load of them. I'll tear their livers out. Get in that back room. What for? Let go. I'm locking you in there till they leave. You're locking nobody in. I'll shoot my way out. Get in there. Morning, gentlemen. What'll it be? It'll be Roy Bean. Where is he? He's out for a while. Oh, that's because you came down here and warned him. I told you Judge Bean is out. All right, we'll wait. Make a move and I'll kill you. Wait, Judge. I'm handling this. Keep your hands up, all of you. Cole, start collecting them shotguns and set them down this end of the bar easy-like. Go on. Drop your rifles, boys. He's holding the cards right now. Now, Judge... I'll take yours. They go, you crazy. Thanks. The drinks are on me, gentlemen. We're not drinking with you, Harden, or him either. I ain't serving none of my liquor to no bunch of tomato kissing, plow pushing. Now, so- Judge, we don't want any harsh words to spoil this friendly little get-together. Get-together? Why, this pack of weasels invade the dignity of my courtroom, come in here armed with malice aforethought to kick up a rumpus? Now, look, you, you being a judge, you know there's always two sides to any question. Now, these men have come here with a legitimate grievance. We're not asking you to speak for us, Harden. No, not me either. Well, that makes it unanimous. I'm going to talk for the both of you. There's a law here against fencing land that seems nothing short of murder to people raising crops. But it's common sense to men running cattle. I've seen this kind of war before. The cattlemen came in first, and then the homesteaders moved in and fenced them out. They had crops for a year, and then a dry spell, a drought. So the homesteaders moved out and the Russian thistle and the jimson weed moved in. And the big spaces were all broken up by little quarter sections. And the homesteads left empty. And the houses caved in and the land no good for man or cattle. Yeah, you spoiled the land in the east. Now you come here to spoil this land. Well, this here's a big country. Yeah, but it ain't big enough for cattlemen and homesteaders and it never will be. Now clear out of here. That's my ruling. All right, Bean. We're going. We're going back to build our fences. If you do, you better build coffins along with them. (laughs) You sure told them off, son. Yep, and now I'm going to tell you off. I'm sorry I stopped them from lynching you. They got a right to defend their homesteads. This ain't homestead land. You just said so yourself. The The government didn't say so. I'm the government here. By gobs, I don't see how you can talk up for scum like that. Well, they proved up on their land, and they've got deeds to it. When you make war on them, you're making war on their women and kids, too. Those people were starved out last year. I heard about those cattle being stampeded over their crops. And there's too many strays running loose in that valley right now. 
Only they're not strays. What do you want me to do, arrest them cattle and fine them a couple of dollars apiece for trespass? Now, look. Those people don't take up much room with their little shirt-sized pieces of land. Why don't you be a real judge for all the people? Why don't you try to see their side of it and help them instead of fight them? Make peace around here instead of war. There's plenty of room for everybody. Then everybody'd look up to you. Then someday maybe they'd put up a statue out there in the street. A statue with carbon on it to Roy Bean, a real judge. What are you doing? Catching a fish? I guess I'm wasting my time. Hold on, wait a minute. Did you write that letter to El Paso yet? No. You promised we drank on it. I didn't have to write it. I had that lock of hair on me all the time. You did? Well, well why didn't you give it to me then? If I'd have given it to you, you'd have hung me, wouldn't you? <laughs> Might have at that. Let's have a look at it, would you? I uh, haven't got it on me. Suffering, bleeding, chickamaugie. Where's it at? Well, I left it over at the Matthews place. Oh, how is she? Huh? Come on, I'll ride right over there with you. No, you won't. You mean you're going to crawfish? You ain't going to give it to me? Sure, I'll give it to you. When? When the last steer's out of that valley. All right. I'll pass the wood around the boys. No, you don't. You're going to help run those cattle out, and I'm going along with you to see that it's done. Why don't you trust me, Cole? When uh, I was a kid, I had a pet rattlesnake. I was fond of it, but I wouldn't turn my back on it. <laughs> You're all right. I'm going back now and gather my stuff. And that lock of hair. Yep, the lock of hair. I'll remember. Morning, Jane Ellen. Why are you stopping? California's that way. Oh, I don't seem to be in favor here. Anything wrong? They told me you spoke up for Bean, Mr. Harden. Well, I... Well, I did try to tell them Bean's point of view. Why didn't you tell him ours? Well, I did that, too. And we got together. You won't have to patrol your fields any longer. The judge gave me his word. They'd round up all the cattle in this valley and take them out of here. You think he'd keep his word? Well, I'm going along with him to see that he does. You mean it, don't you? Yes, ma'am. Now, there's uh, just one more thing I'd like to say. What? Let me look at you. Mm, no. No, you're not the prettiest girl I ever saw. Well, that's good news. Who asked you? But you got the prettiest hair I ever saw. Oh, thank you. I never saw anything like it. Uh, could I, uh, could I clip a lock of it? No, you can't. Uh, will you clip one? No, I won't. Kind of a deadlock, isn't it? But I, <laughs> I sure would like to have it. You don't suppose I could uh, sort of talk you into it, do you? I doubt it. Mm-hmm. Well, uh, sit down, will you? I, uh, I brought along a pair of scissors. You know, just, just in case. Gosh, a lock of Lily's hair. <sighs> it's genuine, ain't it? Cut it off with my own hands. By God. Remember, you said every steer out of the valley by harvest time, and that's around next week. They'll be out. You got my word. I hope so. They're figuring on a little celebration. I'd, I'd hate to disappoint them. Uh, it's hard to believe. Not a steer around for miles, and the crop half reaped. <laughs> it's too good to be true. Don't be so gloomy, Wade. We're celebrating the occasion, not brooding over it. Just the same, it's funny. I don't trust them, Mr. Matthews. 
shall we go back? No, Cole. Not yet. There's something I want to show you. All right. Tell me something. What did you ever do with that lock of hair? Uh, oh, uh, your hair. Why, I, um... Show it to me. Oh, uh, <clears throat> nobody can see that. Not even you. Look, Cole. There's what I wanted to show you. The best piece of homestead land in the whole country. Used to belong to one of the hired men that left us. And now it's anybody's. You just claim it. Yeah, say, that's a fine piece of land, all right. Yep, say, look at the feet up on those slopes over there. And that, and that strip along the bottom's fine for wheat or, or corn. And that little knoll right there. It's just begging for a house. Do, uh, do you know how to build a house? No. Well, you, <clears throat> you, uh, well, you, uh, well, you have the kitchen there and the bedroom there and the, uh, parlor right smack here in the middle. Yes, and, and it would have to have the right things in it, too. What sort of things? Oh, fires and lamplight, the smell of coffee in the morning and sound of rain on the roof. You make it sound pretty nice. Couldn't be on wheels, though. It'd be there to stay. When when you talk about it, it don't sound bad. Cole. Hey, what's that? I don't know. Look, fire. The wheat fields are on fire. What's Go to your homes, everybody. Protect your houses. Who did it? Judge Bean and his men. They set fire to every field in the valley. Go to your homes. Bean and his men. Go to your homes. You told me he promised to let us alone. He gave me his word. Our whole crop's burning to the ground. That's how good his word is, and yours too. Jane Ellen. You knew we were going to be burned out. You must have known. That's why you herded all the cattle out so they wouldn't be burned with the crops. You don't believe that, Jane Ellen. Get away from me. Don't you touch me. I hate you. I hate you. the night the fire rages, sweeping across the green valley, turning the houses to heaps of gray ash, the fertile fields to a sea of smoldering black. In the desolate dawn, the homesteaders move slowly across the plain to a new and more friendly land. But there's one who stays behind, a victim of hate and lawlessness, Jane Ellen's father, buried now beneath the soil he loved so well. Man that is born of woman has but a short time to live. He cometh up and is cut down like a flower. He fleeth as if it were a shadow and never continueth in one day. In the midst of life, we are in death. Jane Ellen, I, I just heard about your father. I came to see if I could help him. They ran him down with their horses. Judge Bean's men. He tried to stop them and they killed him. The wagon train's left. The homesteaders have all gone, Jane Ellen. I'm staying. Nobody's going to drive me away from my land. Not with cattle or fire or killing my father or anything else. I'll be here long after Bean and his gang of murderers are gone. Sure you will. And me too. I don't want you. I don't want any of Roy Bean's friends around me. I don't need your help. I can do what I have to do alone. 
So can I. I'll be back, Jane Ellen. So this town, heretofore known as Vinegaroon, is hereby christened Langtree. Langtree, Texas. No man ever give a woman a whole town afore, but I'm a-doing it. And from now on, this whole section's gonna bloom like the Jersey Lily herself. Quiet! Quiet! I ain't through yet. Miss Langtree's coming soon to play a night over at Fort Davis. And I want every legal resident of Langtree, Texas, to go over and see the godmother of this here town. A town of cattlemen. For cattlemen, and by gobs, run by cattlemen. Now, now in honor of this great occasion, I'm dishing out free beer to one and all. And anybody found sober after sundown is liable to arrest for disorderly conduct. And that's my ruling. Let her go! I'd like to see you for a minute, Judge. Why, Cole, by gobs, man, I'm glad to see you. Well, I never wanted to see a man so much before in my life. What for? What for? Why, don't you know what for? She's coming to Fort Davis. Lily Langtree's coming to Fort Davis. Lily Langtree? Lily Langtree, yeah. And you and me are going over there together. You're going to introduce me to her. By gobs, I'm going to meet her. I just can't believe it. I want to talk to you, Judge. Yeah, all right. And look, what I got to tell her when I see her. See that sign over there? Langtree. That's the name of this town. A great town after a great woman. I said I wanted to talk to you. Sure, Cole. This is a great day. I tell you, it's the greatest day in the history of Texas. Come on inside. (laughs) Sit down, Cole. I'll fix you a drink. Say when, son. When? Huh? What's the matter with you? Nothing. Quite a fire, wasn't it? Huh? Oh, the fire. Yeah, wasn't it, though? Yeah. Too bad. Yeah. I uh, wonder who was behind it. Oh, fire don't need nothing behind it. Fire has a way of moving all its own. Here's how, Cole. Wait a minute. Before I drink with you, Judge, I want to know you had nothing to do with it. Me? Why, how can you say a thing like that? Didn't I round up all them cattle for you? Wasn't I right in here in town when the fire broke out? Didn't I? Well, I was. And what's more, I ain't got no idea who done it. Now, drink up. Don't you believe me? No. Now, listen, son. I told you how it was, and I don't want you calling me no liar. Now, drink hearty. Will you swear by that? There ain't no reason it should be, but I'm willing. All right. I swear I had nothing to do with it. I swear by the revised statutes. By gobs, if there was a Bible in town, I'd... Where's that lock of hair? Huh? That lock of hair, where is it? Right here with me. Let me see it. Will you swear on that? Will you? All right, it was me. I burned their houses and the crops. I run them varmints out. And if you think I'm sorry, you're crazy. I'm proud and glad to read the country of them. It was either them or us. And now the range grass will grow back. And someday the cattlemen will put up a statue of me out there in the street. And they'll ride on it to Judge Roy Bean. He give us back the land. You get warrants in Fort Davis, don't Yeah, you? that's where they get them, but they don't know how to spell my name. It's been tried before. I'll get one. Cole! And this, and this time, you're going to get what's coming to you. Cole, you and me's friends. I done what I had to. You think I was wrong. But if it was my own son come over here with a warrant, he'd have to be first in the draw. I aim to be. 
Unless I get it in the back before I get out of here. So long, Cole. So long, Judge. Raise your right hand. Do you, Cole Harden, solemnly swear to carry out the duties of deputy sheriff according to the law and in the best interest of the state and citizens thereof? Yes, sir. I do. Here's your warrant for Roy Bean. Good luck, Harden. Quiet! Go ahead, chicken. I tell you, I seen Cole Harden over in Fort Davis. I was buying those tickets for Little Lankery for you, and I seen him coming out of the sheriff's office with a star on his shirt. Hmm. Got a one-track mind, ain't he? A deputy, huh? If I was you, Judge, I wouldn't go anywhere near Fort Davis to see the best actress ever was. Me neither. How do you know you ain't heading into a trap? Them hombres is just waiting down there for you. Why, you pack of yellow bellies? Chicken foot, give me them tickets. You mean you're going to Fort Davis alone? Not by a jugful, I ain't. You're all going with me as a god honor right up the opera house. But I'm going in alone. I bought out the whole house just for me, see? I ain't sharing the Jersey Lily with no one. deserted, Judge. Yeah. They must have heard I was on my way. There's the Opry house. Pull up. All right, boys. Tie your horses over there. Take your places outside the theater and stay there. I want strict privacy all during the show. You'll get it. I'm going in now. Chicken foot, give me one of them tickets. Right this way, sir. Your, your seat's over here. My seat's anywhere I want to sit. Yeah, yes, yes, certainly, but... Right here'll do. When does Miss Langtree go on in the play? Well, as soon as the curtain goes up, sir. Well, when's that? Well, when the audience is here. You're, you're the first one, and I... I'm the only one. Yeah. So you can start right now. But I don't... Don't you hear good? I'm the audience. I'm the only one here. Except me, Judge. Why, you? Don't make a move for your gun. Usher, you better beat it. Yeah, yeah, yeah yes, certainly. I... Now look, Judge... I'm coming over there. I'm coming over to get you. Yeah, you better come a-shooting. I'm hoping that won't be necessary. Just keep your hands where they are, Judge. Deputy now, hey, Cole? Yep. That star on your shirt makes a right good target. Yeah. I hate to do this, Cole. Maybe I'll beat you to it. All right, let's see. Judge. Now, now you, you see what you've done? You stopped the show. How are we going to see Lily? Wait a long time for this. Now, now it's too late. No, no it isn't. She's back there now waiting to see you. What? She, she knows all about you. She wants to meet you. She told me so herself. She wants to... She wants to meet me. Help me. Help me stand up. There she is. She's coming. 
She's coming right here. I can stand alone. Turn me loose. I tell you, that's marooning. Miss Miss Langtree? Uh, yes? Miss Langtree, I'd like to present an old admirer, Judge Roy Bean. How do you do? Uh, um, I'm pleased to... to meet you, ma'am. I... Judge. There's your house, Mrs. Harden. The last nails driven and the last stones in place. Not a wheel in sight. Oh, Cole, it's wonderful. Look. Hey, look across the valley. Why, it's the homesteaders. They're coming back again. Yep, wagons as far as your eye can see. Coming back in peace to build a state. It's the promised land. Gary Cooper, Walter Brennan, and Doris Davenport are back at the microphone. Without six shooters. Things are a little calmer in the state of Texas these days, aren't they, Gary? Well, we were all down there last week, C.B. It was pretty lively around Fort Worth and Dallas. And we all had a grand time at the premiere of the Westerner. The people in Dallas and Fort Worth really got out the red carpet for us. But nobody shot at us. Maybe they liked the picture. <laughs> Gary, I think your idea of audience criticism may be just a bit dated. It's the judge being influenced. If my memory doesn't fail me, the judge was not exactly fiction. No, sir. He's a lot too real for the good health of quite a few people. As a matter of fact, C.B., we met a fellow that used to work for him while we were making a Westerner. Yeah, the judge hired this fellow to hold up a train. Was there any gold on the train? No, just uh, Lily Langtree. That was the judge's way, rather, of inviting her to the town of Langtree. How romantic. What happened, Gary? Well, the fellow missed the train. Yeah, and the judge never let him come back to town again. I suppose that's why he's still alive. Oh. You know, Mr. DeMille, this is the first time I've ever been in the Lux Radio Theater. But I'm a regular listener and a regular Lux Soap user, too. Lux Soap agreed with my skin from the very first time I tried it. Another Lux Soap booster, CB. The more the merrier, Gary. And I think we'll have a lot of boosters for next week's play, too. What's it going to be, CB? Next Monday night, Walter, we're going to have Claudette Colbert and Fred McMurray on this stage. And you'll hear them in the play, His Girl Friday. It's adapted from the Columbia Picture Success and brings Claudette to this microphone as a wisecracking girl reporter. Fred McMurray is the boss editor, but bossing a reporter like Claudette Colbert is no easy job. Add the fact that the reporter was formerly the editor's wife, and the sum of the situation for us is a brilliant comedy romance next Monday night. Well, that sounds good to me, C.B., and I'll be in the audience. Good night. Good night. Good night, Mr. Good night. That was great play action tonight, partners. Oh, Gary, check your guns at the stage door. Our sponsors, the makers of Lux Toilet Soap, join me in inviting you to be with us again next Monday night when the Lux Radio Theater presents Claudette Colbert and Fred McMurray in His Girl Friday. This is Cecil B. DeMille saying good night to you from Hollywood. Here is important news for those of you who live in communities not operating on daylight saving time. 
If you live in a community which does not operate on daylight saving time, you will hear this program beginning next Monday night, one hour later than heretofore. Heard in tonight's play were Lou Merrill as Chickenfoot, Fred Shields as Wade, Harry Humphrey as Caliphate, Donald Curtis as Blackjack, John Deering as Shad Wilkins, Brooks Benedict as Bart, J. Michael as Evans, Ted Arthurs as Hod, Hal K. Dawson as theater manager, Forrest Taylor as farmer, and Gloria Holden as Lily Langtree. The stars of The Westerner appeared tonight through the courtesy of Samuel Goldwyn. The Scarlet O'Hara brooch, offered you by the makers of Lux Toilet Soap, is designed after one worn by Vivian Lee in Gone with the Wind, the Selznick International picture produced by David O. Selznick and released by Metro-Goldwyn-Mayer. Our music is directed by Louis Silvers, and your announcer has been Melville Ruick. This is the Columbia Broadcasting System. Lux Radio Theater. That one was originally broadcast on the 23rd of September back in 1940. Most of the shows we play on the, on uh, on Boomer are from 1948 on to like 1960-61. The reason I bring that up is the supporting cast, I hardly recognized any of the names. Uh, whereas later on in the 50s, it was sort of the same uh, stable of actors in Hollywood that did so many of these radio productions. And you would recognize them from show to show. Pretty good, though, wasn't it? Lux Radio Theater. Walter Brennan won the Academy Award for Best Supporting Actor for playing Judge Roy Bean in that film. Excuse me, had to hit the cough button there. Uh, just a couple of notes here. I picked these notes up off of uh, the Internet, Internet Movie Database. It says that the farmers portrayed in the film as having to uh, file for a homestead to acquire their land in Texas really would uh, have no... Basis in fact, there were no homesteaders in Texas. Why? Because Texas was an independent republic. And when it joined the Union in 1845, it joined with full statehood status. That means there was never any time when the federal government owned the land in the state of Texas that would have been open to the Homestead Act. So the Homestead Act was only for those territories that were not yet declared states. And the land was owned by the federal government. It says the film shows Judge Roy Bean being killed in a shootout, uh, but he actually died of natural causes in 1903. So sometimes films take a little, uh, what, uh, poetic license, I guess, with the facts. And then it says the town in Texas named Langtree, Texas, was named for George Langtree, an engineer and foreman who had supervised a Chinese work crew building the railroad. It was not named for the actress Lily Langtree, who, of course, the judge had quite an infatuation with. Well, I hope you enjoyed that one. That was uh, Lux Radio Theater, classic, classic movies that were brought to radio and many times with the uh, original cast. That one uh, really does uh, bring back some fond memories because I, I can remember sitting and watching that with my mom, and I remember her responding Talk, sort of like talking back to the screen at Walter Brennan's <laughs> Judge Roy Bean. And, of course, I lost my mom many, many years ago now. So uh, whenever you have a memory like that, it's it's very fond. And so I always have a special place in my heart for that film. 
was I when I had first seen old Rivers? I can't remember when he wandered around. Well, that old fella did a heap of work. Spent his whole life walking plowed ground. He had a one-room shack not far from us, and, well, we was about as poor as him. He had one old mule he called Midnight, and I trailed along after them. He used to plow them rows straight and deep, and I'd come along there behind, a busting up clods with my own bare feet. Old Rivers was a friend of mine. The sun would get high and that mule would work, and old Rivers would finally say, whoa. He'd wipe his brow and lean back on the reins and talk about a place he's gonna go. He'd say, one of these days, I'm gonna climb that mountain, walk up there among them clouds where the cotton's high and the corns are growing and there ain't no fields to plow. I got a letter today from the folks back home and they're all fine, crops is dry. Down near them in, mom said, son, you know old rivers died. They're sitting here now in this new plowed earth, trying to find me a little shade. With the sun beating down across the fields I see, that mule, old rivers, and me. Now one of these days, I'm gonna climb that mountain, walk up there among them clouds, where the cotton's high and the corns are growing, and there ain't no fields to plow. With the sun beating down across the fields I see, that mule, old rivers, and me. McCoys, starring Walter Brennan, created by Irving Pincus. Want you to meet the family known as the real McCoys. That's Grand Pappy Amos, the head of the clan. He roars like a lion, but he's gentle as a lamb. And now here's Luke, who beams with joy since he may take Mrs. McCoy. From West Virginia they came to stay in sunny California. Oh, Grandpappy Amos and the girls and the boys of the family we first heard a big hit song from the 60s by Walter Brennan entitled Old Rivers. And yes, I bought it. And I'm proud of it. I still uh, get choked up hearing that song. And then, of course, we heard the theme song from The Real McCoys, which was a television sitcom that uh, came along in the late 50s that uh, featured Walter Brennan in the starring role as the patriarch of the family, Amos McCoy. Walter Brennan might have been old enough to be our grandfather, but baby boomers do remember Walter Brennan. Something familiar. Something peculiar. Something for everyone. A comedy tonight. Ah! 
Something appealing, something appalling, something for everyone of comedy tonight. Nothing with kings, nothing with crowns. Bring on the lovers, liars, and clowns. Ah! Situation, no complications. Nothing portentous or polite. Well, in our comedy corner this week, we're going back to Beverly Hills and spend a little time with Jack Benny at, at his house. Jack is down with a cold. I, I thought that would be an appropriate uh, show to play this week, since so many of us are suffering with this crazy thing. This was originally broadcast on 11-21-54. Then it was rebroadcast on The Best of Benny in 1957, and the date exact date eludes me now. You're actually listening to that. It was uh, this recording came from the best of Benny, but it was it was a rebroadcast of the same show. So here we go from 112154 as originally heard on CBS. This is the Jack Benny show and Jack is in bed with a cold. <laughs> The Jack Benny Program, starring Jack Benny with Mary Livingston, Rochester, Dennis Day, Bob Crosby, and yours truly, Don Wilson. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, Jack Benny has been confined to his bed for the past week with a severe cold due to an unfortunate occurrence at my house last Sunday. It seems that I had invited Jack and the gang to come over without telling my wife. Then, when we all got there, I thought it might be wise to break it to her gently by having them come in one at a time. And, well, while Jack was waiting outside, it started to rain, and as he... All week, flat on my back in bed. And for what? (coughs) I ought to have my head examined. If I told Don once, I told him a thousand times. I said, call up your wife Call her up, I said Let's not barge in on the little woman But no, Lois is a peach She won't mind She just loves to have company (coughs) Oh, nurse Nurse Yes, boss (laughs) Take this hot water bag away It leaks Look at this hole it's okay if you keep your finger in it. I told you to have it patched. Look at me, my nightie is so clear through. <coughs> you're a fine nurse. What's that, boss? I said you're a fine nurse. Well, you've only been sick a week. I haven't had time to get a diploma. Well, then take off those white stockings. You look silly. <laughs> All I'm asking for is a little help. If you'd only try it, answer the phone, will you? Hello? Yes, he's feeling much better, Miss Lamar. Well. Yes, ma'am, I'll tell him, Miss Lamar. Thanks for calling. Mm, That was sweet. Who was that, Rochester? Hetty Lamar? No, Dorothy. Oh, you mean Dorothy Lamour? No, Dorothy Lamar. She's the cook next door. Oh, her. 
Well, she works for Ronald Coleman. Ronnie probably wants to know how I'm getting along. You'll make something out of it, won't you, boy? <laughs> well, that's undoubtedly what it was. Mary, I told you not to fuss around the kitchen. Now, Jack, you've got to eat this omelet I made for you. It'll do you good. I don't want an omelet. Well, you've got to have something. Here. Oh, all right. Can't taste anything with this darn cold. Rochester, did Mr. Benny sleep well last night? No, Miss Limson, he tossed and turned and kept talking in his sleep all the time. Well, what'd he say? Said he was going to give me a raise. <laughs> well, I'm not. You mumble again tonight and I'm going to stick a checkbook in your hand. <laughs> Don't try to pull any fast ones, Roger. Mary, what did you put in this omelet? Vapo-rub. You've got a cold, haven't you? <laughs> Vapo-rub? That, that stuff is to rub on. It's supposed to be taken externally. All right. Put the omelet on your chest and leave me alone. <laughs> you leave me alone. I never saw anybody so cranky. It's your own fault that you've got a cold. My fault? I suppose it was my fault that Don Wilson invited us to his house and everybody got in but me. I suppose it was my fault. It started to rain and I got soaked. Well, for heaven's sake, you don't expect him to bring home a whole gang of people without calling up his wife first. <laughs> oh, for Pete's sake. Mary, you were at the studio. You heard me. How many times did I say, Don, call up your wife? Call her up, I said. Let's not barge in on the little woman. But would he listen to me? Gesundheit, boys Thanks No, he had to go and uh, uh, Gesundheit, Jack Thanks He had to go and bring the whole gang out to uh, Gesundheit, boys Thanks Out to the house without letting her know a thing about it I wouldn't have minded that so much But when we When we When we uh, It's your turn, Miss Limston <laughs> No, I said it already. Yeah, but I said it after you said it. <laughs> well, somebody say it. I'm superstitious. Gesundheit. I don't feel good. I wish the doctor would get here. Well, go to sleep for a while. The rest will do you good. I can't rest. I'm so uncomfortable lying here. Why don't you take some of those silver dollars out of the mattress? <laughs> what are you talking about? Silver dollars, and nothing in the mattress but feathers. Y'all hear them clink when I make the bed. <laughs> now stop, both of you. I'm in no mood for nonsense. Come in. Oh, fine. Hello, Dennis. Hello, Mr. Benny. I wasn't doing anything, so I thought I'd come over and see how you're getting along. Well, that's very nice of you. Have a seat. Thanks. How do you feel? Mm, not so hot. I'm dizzy. My eyes are bleary. I'm weak, and I, I ache all over. Well, you're not a kid anymore. Now, wait a minute. There's only one thing the matter with me, Dennis. I've got a cold. A cold, he says. What's the matter with you? Haven't you ever had a cold? Oh, Jack, don't be such a crab. Dennis comes over to visit you and you jump all over him. Yeah, if you're not nice to me, I won't give you the gift I brought for you. A gift? Uh-huh. Mother thought I should bring some flowers and my father suggested candy, but I decided it might be better to give you something that you can get some use out of. Well, I like practical gifts. What'd you get me, Dennis? 
set of false teeth. <laughs> false teeth? What's the way they grab your finger? Ow! Now get those things away from me. I've never used false teeth. I don't need false teeth, and I don't want them. Gee, then I guess I better take them back. Certainly you'll take them back. The first place, who brings people false teeth for a gift? In the second place, Dennis, when someone needs false teeth, they have to go to a dentist. An impression has to be made. Fittings have to be taken. Then you have to wait till the gums are set so the jaw won't recede. And even then, you may have to go back three or four times if the palate is irritated or the, the bite overlaps. Gee, for someone who doesn't wear them, you're sure an expert. <laughs> Dennis, cut it out. Look, if he just came here to aggravate me, you can go home now. Oh, don't mind him, Dennis. Whenever he's sick, he gets touchy like this. Oh, that's all right, Mary. Hey, uh, what's that on your chest, Mr. Benny? An omelet. There's vapor rubbing it. <laughs> That was Mary's brilliant idea. When I wouldn't eat it, she says, put it on your chest. I only told you to put it on your chest for a gag. Well, it feels wonderful, so the laugh's on you. <laughs> as far as I'm concerned, you can all leave me alone. Oh, Jack, why don't you take a nap and rest for a while? I told you I can't sleep. I'm too nervous. Well, close your eyes and relax. You'll be all right. Okay, my eyes are closed. Am I asleep? No. I tell you, I'm too restless. You want me to sing you to sleep? Oh, fine. That's all I need. You know, I'm very soothing. All right, all right. Sing me to sleep. <coughs> Hope it's Rockabye Baby in the Treetop. That always gets me. <laughs> I think I was six months old or something. Go ahead. Sing, Dennis. Okay. Darn, this mattress is so lumpy. I think I'll take it to the bank Monday. <laughs> chapel in the moonlight while we're strolling down the aisle where roses entwine how I'd love to hear you whisper in the chapel in the moonlight that the love light in your eyes forever will shine till the roses turn to ashes till the organ turns to rust if you'll never come I'll still be there Till the moonlight turns to dust How I'd love to hear the choir In the chapel in the moonlight As they sang, oh, promise me Turns to rust 
If you'll never come, I'll still be there Till the moonlight turns to dust How I'd love to hear the choir In the chapel in the moonlight As they sang, oh, promise me I put him to sleep all right. You sure did. Look at him lying there. Doesn't he look like a baby? Yeah, all he needs is a rattle and a ton of makeup. Huh? What happened? You were asleep. I was not. I'm too restless to sleep. Now, go ahead, Dennis. Sing your song. I already sang it. I'm not going to sing it again. All right, don't sing. And don't try to tell me I was asleep when I wasn't. Everybody tries to make out. Well, look who's here. It's your piano player, Charlie Bagby. Hello, Mary. Hiya, Jack. How's the invalid? Not so good, Charlie. I got a cold. Say, Charlie, how is it Frankie Ramley didn't come with you? Well, he couldn't make it, but he wanted me to give this to Jack. It's a painting. A painting? Ramley sent me a painting? Well, he did this himself, and he's very proud of it. Let me see. So Ramley painted this, huh? Yeah, I think it's quite unusual. But it's just a... <clears throat> it's just a drunk lying on the curb. <laughs> uh, what's... What's so unusual about that? It's a self-portrait. <laughs> oh. I say, that is Remley. So hard to tell with that dog licking his face. <laughs> anyway, it was nice of him to send it... <coughs> Yeah, I wish the doctor would get here. I got chills again. Where's the thermometer, Rochester? Here you are. Open your mouth. Ah. Say, Mary, has Don Wilson been over to see Mr. Benny? Not yet. He's probably scared after what happened. Well, what's he scared about? It wasn't Don's fault. It wasn't Don's fault? If I told him once, I told him a thousand times. I said, don't barge in on the little woman. Hey, Rochester, what does the thermometer say? Thirty-nine. Thirty-nine? You made that up. You made it up. I'm just going along with the game. All right, all right. I wonder what's keeping that doctor. That must be him now. Come in. It's Don Wilson. Hello, everybody. Oh, hello, Don. Hmm. He's got nerve coming here. Hello, Jack. I'm awfully sorry about what happened last week, and I came over to apologize. How do you feel? Fine. I'm glad you barged in. <laughs> How's the little woman? Oh, Jack, it's your own fault that you've got a cold. It's not only the cold, but when he left me standing in the rain, a stick-up man came along. I got hooked for $8.65. <laughs> it's a terrible experience. Did the guy pull a gun on you, Jack? How else could it get $8.65? <laughs> I hope 
you're happy, Mr. Wilson, for everything you... You... Achoo! Gesundheit. Keep it. <laughs> Don, if you think you can come here apologize, expect me to forgive you just like that, you're sadly mistaken. But, Jack, I even went to the trouble of bringing the sportsman over here. The sportsman? Yeah. Come on in, fellas. Hmm. Oh, hmm. Now, why did you bring them here? Well, I thought maybe they could sing for you and cheer you up. Go ahead, take it, fellas. Powder your face with sunshine. Put on a great big smile. Fill those blue eyes with laughter. Folks will be laughing with you in a little while. Whistle a tune of gladness. Who never was inside. The future's brighter when hearts are lighter. Smile, smile, smile. Powder your face with sunshine. Put on a great big smile. Fill those blue eyes with laughter. Folks will be laughing with you in a little while. Whistle a tune of gladness. Who never was inside The future's brighter When hearts are lighter Smile, smile, smile You feel better now, Jack? Oh, sure, sure Everybody sings to me Nobody brings candy or <laughs> Well, anyway, Jack, it sure makes me feel better to know that we're friends again. Well, we're not friends again. You've got a long way to go. But, Jack, once in a while, even an elephant forgets. Well, you ought to know, brother. <laughs> oh, yeah? Well, if that's the way you feel, I take back my apology. Take it back. Who cares? Uh, come on, sportsman. Let's get out of here. I've done all I can. What a big, fat hypocrite. <laughs> Jack, I still think you're being childish. You two ought to kiss and make up. I wouldn't kiss Don Wilson if I was a French general. <laughs> the, way I, the way I feel now, I just about... The doctor's here, boss. Oh, well, it's about time. Well, how's my little man, Mr. Brighton If you cared I've been waiting for you since early this morning Well, don't holler at me I was up all night with Gene Autry's horse <laughs> well, Now that you're here, you can look me over uh, Yes, indeed Now, let's see, what's wrong with you? I've got a cold A cold, he said <laughs> well, That's what I've got And another thing, I'm hungry is it all right if I eat something? Oh, no, no. You should starve a cold and feed a fever. Oh. Or is it starve a fever and feed a cold? <laughs> You're the doctor. You tell me. <laughs> now, if you can't handle this, just say so. I'll call someone who can. My, we're irritable today. <laughs> I better test your reflexes. My reflexes? 
My reflexes? <laughs> yes, would you mind crossing your withers? <laughs> They're my legs. There's nothing wrong with my reflexes, just that I keep coughing and sneezing. Well, in that case, I'd better give you a cold shot. That'll fix you up in no time. But, Doc, I don't want a shot. I'll just fill my hypodermic needle. You're not going to stick that needle in me. Oh, let him, Jack. He knows what he's doing. But I don't need it, Mary. I've just got a little cold. In a hole still, I'll put this needle right in your arm. Well, wait till I roll up my sleeve. <laughs> I never saw such an impatient... Easy now. This won't hurt a bit. Here we go. Now, doctor. <laughs> Ooh. Ooh, my arm. There. Now, that wasn't so bad, was it? It was, too. My arm hurts like anything. Should I kiss it for you? <laughs> Don't bother. Now, I want you to get all the sleep you can. I'll leave a box of these pills. Take one before retiring. Okay. Why don't you take one now, Jack, so you can rest for a while? Yeah, I think I will. Well, I'll run along now, Mr. Benny. See you tomorrow. Goodbye. Goodbye. Now, if you kids will all leave here. Excuse me. Now what? I forgot to take the needle out of your arm. <laughs> What? I lose more darn needles out there. Well, for heaven's sake, pull it out. You're all right. Now hold still. Ooh. There we are. Well, I'll see you tomorrow. Goodbye, Mr. Benny. Goodbye, goodbye. Now, let's see who's my next patient. Oh, yes, Barbara Stanwyck's Cocker Spaniel. <laughs> Fine doctor, I think. Well, it's your own fault. Why'd you call a veterinarian? Because what happened to me shouldn't happen to a dog. <laughs> I wish you'd all go home and let me get some sleep. Okay, Jack, I'll be seeing you. Goodbye, Mr. Benny. I hope you feel better. Oh, thanks. So long, Mary. So long, Jack. See you tomorrow. Rochester. Rochester, I'm going to sleep. I get any calls. Don't disturb me. Okay, boss. If that streetlight disturbs you, I can pull the shade. No, no, I may wake up and feel like reading. <laughs> good night, Rochester. Good night. Yeah, I hope I can get a good night's rest. This pill does make you kind of drowsy at that. Wilson had a lot of nerve coming over here tonight. I can't get over that guy. All this trouble I'm having for no reason at all. I told him once. I told him a thousand times, call up the little woman, I said. So he won't be barging in. No, he had to be a wise guy. What's that? Who's that at the window? All right, buddy, stick him up. <laughs> what? Come on, give me your dough. Well, you're the same guy that got me at Don Wilson's house. Remember, I was in the rose bushes. Yeah, never mind that. Hand over your dough. You can't do this to me. I'm a sick man. I've got a cold. A cold, he says. 
Uh, come on, fork over. Gee, I gave you all the money I had in my shoe, every cent of it, remember? This time I want your mattress. Yike! Oh, no, you don't. Give me that gun. I'll teach you to break into people's houses. No, no, don't shoot. Please don't shoot. Take that. Oh, my goodness. What have I done? I've killed him. I've killed him. Boss, boss, what's the matter? Call the police, Rochester. I just killed a man. Wake up, boss, wake up. I'm not asleep. I just killed a man, can't you see? Boss, wake up. You didn't kill anybody. You've been dreaming. Dreaming? Oh, thank heaven. She was so vivid. So real. You know, Rochester, gee, you'd been proud of me if you'd seen how brave I was just now. <laughs> What are you talking about? Well, that big, tough burglar came in the room, stuck that gun in my face. Was I scared? I grabbed the gun out of his hand and let him have it. Bang, 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 bang. Boy, did I give it to him. Boss, when you take the right pill, you're a tiger. <laughs> you said it. Well, I'm going back to sleep now, Rochester. If anything happens, I'll let you know. Good night. Good night, boss. <laughs> what a man. <laughs> Jack will be back in just a minute, friends. But first, tomorrow, an exciting new chapter in history opens as CBS News takes you to Washington for President Eisenhower's inauguration and for the parade and inaugural ball. Stay with CBS Radio for this great event. If I told him once, I told him a thousand times. Call the little woman. Now, he ought to be a wise guy. I said, Don, let's not barge in on Call her up, I said. I begged him. Good night, folks. The Jack Benny program is written by Sam Perrin, Milt Josephsberg, George Balzer, John Tackerberry, Al Gordon, Hal Goldman, and produced and transcribed by Hilliard Marks. So there you go. Jack Benny has a cold, as originally heard on November the 21st, 1954. Now, I know what you're thinking. You're thinking, how could President Eisenhower's inauguration have taken place in November of 54? Because he was elected in 52 and then re-elected again in 56. That's correct. Well, remember at the beginning I told you this was a best of Benny? And this was actually, this recording was taken from a show, a rebroadcast of that 1954 show that was done on January 20th, 1957. So he would have been re-elected in 1956 in, the inaugur- in November of 56. The inauguration would have taken place in January of 1957. Remember Ike? <laughs> I can remember. That's the first president I remember. I don't ever remember Truman being president, although he was the president when I was born. Uh, but I remember Ike. And I remember the, actually that election of 56. Uh, I remember he was going against Adlai Stevenson. And, uh, of course, Nixon was his running mate. If I recall, uh, Stevenson's running mate was Estes Kefauver. 
But uh, I didn't take the time to check that, nor am I going to, because after all, I'm sick. I don't feel good. So I haven't done nearly the research that I normally do on a show, on this show tonight. But anyway, just take my word for it. ready to travel back to Dodge City, Kansas? Oh, yeah. The year's 1874. We're walking up Front Street, shoulder to shoulder with Marshal Matt Dillon, upholding the law in this wide-open western town. Along the way, we're going to meet up with Kitty and Doc and Chester and the whole gang on this episode of Gunsmoke. We're going to meet another character this week, too, by the name of General Parsley Smith. One of the more memorable characters from the imagination of John Meston, the writer of this script. Uh, General Smith is portrayed by John Daner in just a bravura performance. I mean, it's just outstanding. He's played this sort of character before, but uh, he really brings it home with this one. And he raises a lot of questions, and you'll have a lot of questions as you listen to it. But hopefully by the end of the show, your questions will be answered. This is a really memorable gun smoke, and it was originally broadcast on CBS back on July the 2nd, 1955. Here's Gunsmoke and General Parsley Smith. Gunsmoke. Around Dodge City and in the territory on West, there's just one way to handle the killers and the spoilers, and that's with a U.S. Marshal and the smell of gun smoke. Gun Smoke. Starring William Conrad, the transcribed story of the violence that moved west with young America, and the story of a man who moved with it. I'm that man. 
Matt Dillon, United States Marshal. The first man they look for and the last they want to meet. It's a chancy job, and it makes a man watchful. And a little lonely. Chester. Well, I didn't know you was back. Yeah, I rode in late last night. Have a good trip? Well, I ran out of grub and I ran out of water. The last hundred miles got pretty long. <laughs> My. Yeah. Now, what of interest has been happening in Dodge? Well, sir, let me see. Oh, I got the toothache. No. It, that was the day you left. No, no, it wasn't. It was the day after that. Ah. At least I think it was. I ain't real sure. Uh, but you you are all right now, though. Oh, yes, sir. I'm fine. Well, I'm, I'm glad to hear that. I uh, noticed a sign up the street, New Bank. Yeah, they opened last week. Uh-huh. Well, that's a big thing for Dodge, isn't it? A new bank? Oh, I guess so. How do you know who's running the bank? Um, a fellow named Holt. Drew Holt. Holt, huh? I never heard of him. No, sir. He just come to town, opened him up the bank, and he... Oh, my goodness. Marshal Dillon? Yes, sir. Parsley Smith, sir. At your service. So that's your name. I've seen you around, Mr. Smith. Not Mr. Smith, young fella. General Smith, Third Illinois Calvary. What? I thought the Third Illinois was demobilized a long time ago, sir. It was, sir. In the fall of 65, we stood with General Grant before Richmond. Yeah, that was our last action. Well, what can I do for you, General? Uh, for me, nothing. For the good citizens of your town, plenty. Oh? I arrived on the Santa Fe last week, sir. And I've been waiting for your return. You sure wait loud, General. You see, he's kind of like a preacher when he gets started, Mr. Dillon. You are to hear him. Well, I'm only doing my duty. But now that the marshal's back, he, he can take over. Take over what, General? Drew Holt is a thief, Marshal. What do you mean, the new banker? Oh, that's what he talks about all the time, Mr. Dillon. He claims that when Holt gets enough money on deposit, he's going to steal it. Well, how do you know this, General? Well, I, I haven't told anybody else, but I knew Holt in the war, Marshal. So? We caught him, but he escaped. He, he was a Confederate spy. He was? Well, of course, there's nothing wrong with being a spy, but, but Holt also was a Union spy. The man's no good. He's got to be stopped. Are you sure of all this, General? My word is an officer and a gentleman, sir. All right, I'll look into it. Don't take too long, Marshal. Drew Holt's just waiting for enough deposits to make it worthwhile. Well, he wouldn't get very far, General. A man who spied for both armies and lived through it? You're underestimating the enemy, Marshal. But I've, I've told you, it's your responsibility now. Yes, sir. Sure. Good day, sir. Uh, Chester. Yes, sir? About uh, what of interest has been happening in Dodge? 
Have you figured out just yet which day it was that you got that toothache? This is the place, Mr. Dillon. Drew Holt? Yes? I'm Marshal Dillon Holt. Uh, this is Chester Proudfoot. I do. This is a pleasure. Have a chair, gentlemen. Thank you. Uh, I heard you were out of town, Marshal. Well, I got back last night. Dodge has grown since you were away, eh? <laughs> yes. Well, we're doing fine. Just fine. Except for one thing. Oh? That crazy old fool, General Smith. I don't know what he's got against me. I never even saw him before, but... Now, you're going to have to lock him up, Marshal. I'm not going to have my bank and my name ruined by a madman. Uh-huh. Um, where are you from, Holt? What? I said, where are you from? Where? Back east, Pennsylvania. Why? Oh, you look familiar. I thought maybe we'd met somewhere a long time ago. It, uh... Couldn't have been in the Army, could it? I wasn't in the Army, Marshal. Ah. Oh. Well, it doesn't matter. Right? Oh. What do you want? Well, I didn't know you were busy. Well, wait outside. Yeah, I'll wait at the Alfred Ganser. You want me, you come. You'll have to excuse him. He's kind of a handyman I keep on staff. Uh-huh. Yeah, sure. Well, um, we'll be going, Holt. Glad you came by, Marshal. Yeah. You're uh, you're not going to do anything about General Smith? I don't know. But don't you do anything about him. Come on, Chester. Yes, sir. Oh, what do you think, Mr. Dillon? He don't seem so bad to me. Outside of being kindly short-tempered, like when that fellow walked in. You know who that fellow was, Chester? No, sir. His name's Ed Nash. He's a hired gunman from up north. Now, you wait here, Chester. I won't be long. All right, sir. Uh, tell Mr. Botkin hello for me. Yeah, I will. Marshal, back safe and sound. How are you, Mr. Bakken? Well, can't complain. Sit down, Marshal, sit down. Uh, you're not even complaining about your competition down the street? Holt's Bank? Not at all. Dodge needs another bank, Marshal. Oh, is that so? Certainly is. Now I'll be able to spend more time in the land business, and that's where I'm needed. Uh, tell me something, Mr. Bakken. Yeah. Do you know anything about Drew Holt? Well, he came to see me the first day he got here, Marshal. Showed me his credentials and his charter. Perfectly sound man. Uh-huh. But a man could fake credentials, couldn't he? Oh, come now, Marshal. You've been listening to that crazy old General Smith. Oh, you think he's lying, huh? Why, that old fool lies about everything. He told me he'd fought under Zachary Taylor in the Black Hawk War. And that the last time he saw Taylor was at Harper's Ferry. <laughs> what do you think of that? Well, that had been some ten years after Taylor died. Mm -hmm, just about. And you can be sure he's lying about Drew Holt, too. Well, I hope you're right. You bet I am. 
And don't forget what I said. We need that bank. We need it bad. It's going to mean a lot to the whole country around here. You wait and see. Okay, Mr. Barker. I'll wait. Evening, Kitty. Hello, Matt. Uh, you uh, haven't seen General Smith around tonight, have you? He's usually here about this time. You gonna do something about him, Matt? Yeah, not much I can do, except to tell him to quit talking. Well, if he's got any proof about this, he ought to bring it out. As far as I can tell, he just says Holt's a thief and expects everybody to believe him. You know, I'm finding out General Smith's something of a liar, Kitty. Huh? Like he's coming here on the train. He, he didn't come on the train. He came on the stage. The driver himself told me today. Now, why does he have to lie about that? Who cares? That beats me. But maybe I'll find out when Doc gets back from the country. What do you mean, Matt? Now, General Smith said he was with the 3rd Illinois Cavalry. That's Doc's old outfit. Say, now, that'll be interesting. Yeah, but I feel kind of uneasy about it. Why? Well, he's a liar, sure, but I'm not sold on this Drew Holt. Well, he seems harmless enough. A man that hires a gunman like Ed Nash isn't as harmless as he might be, Kitty. Well, I didn't know Nash was a gunman. Well, he is. I seen him up north. He doesn't remember me, though. Well, what's Holt need of a man like that? Well, if you ask him, he'd probably say it was to protect his bank. Mr. Botkin doesn't have gunmen hanging around his bank. No, he doesn't. Oh, well, there you are, Matt. General's arrived. Yeah. Well, I better go talk to him, Kitty, and get it over with. Come back later, Matt. Uh, yeah, I'll try. Draw me a beer, Barkeep. And I can drop a shot of good bourbon in it. Oh, well, good evening, Marshal. You join me in a drink? Uh, no, thank you, General. I see the new bank is still open. When are you going to close it? I'm not going to. You're shaking your duty, eh? No, not the way I figure it, sir. Drew Holt's credentials are good, according to Mr. Botkin. Nothing easier than that, especially for somebody as clever as Holt is. He's hired a gunman, General. It could be to take care of you. It'd take more than that to scare a man who stood before the batteries at Vicksburg. Have you ever faced grape shot, Marshal? Look, General, your, it... your talk is hurting this town. Now, we need that bank. I was I was decorated by General Grant himself, Marshal, in, 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 in person. Look, your talk can also hurt Bodkin's I... bank. Now, people lose faith in a hurry when they get started. Now, you're not helping yeah, but, Dodge at all. But I helped win the war, Marshal. That's why they gave me a medal. Will you keep your voice Give down? Give it to me. Keep your voice down. Now, look, General, either you prove that Drew Holt is a thief or you quit talking about him. Now, I mean it. Huh. I'm under fire, eh? Well, that's one way of putting it, General, but you come up with proof or I'll run you well, out of Oh, Dodge. you'll get your proof soon enough, but it'll be too late then. There's no use arguing about it. I've warned you. Now, next time, out you go. If they listen to me at Bull Run, there'd never have been no disaster. General, why don't... Now, what's the use? 
I've warned you. Now you remember it. I'll do my duty as I see fit, Marshal. I always have, and I always will. More coffee, Max? Uh, no, no, thanks, Doc. Yes, oh, my, look at that coffee. Oh, I sure made it black and heavy this morning. Well, you'd complain if it wasn't. Yes, I, I suppose you would. Oh, my, 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 delivering babies is some fine way to make a living. Now, what else would you use for an excuse to stay up all night, Doc? <laughs> excuse, listen to me. Well, I could always shine me up a tin star and sit around saloons waiting for dawn and acting like a killjoy. <laughs> yes, it doesn't look like work, but it is. Oh, now, just when I start a good row, you you get serious on me. <sighs> I'm sorry, Doc. I guess I'm in a bad mood this morning. Oh? Well, what's the matter? General Parsley Smith? Yeah. You haven't told me anything about him. Well, I want to see him first. I want to talk to him. But you told him to lay off, Matt, so he probably will. Oh, yeah, sure. I bet he will. Uh, uh, oh, see, I hear Drew Holt bought himself a house out at the edge of town. Mm-hmm. Well, now, that doesn't sound like a man who's planning to run away. No, it doesn't. Hey, Mr. Dillon? Oh, hello, Doc. How are you, Justin? General Smith's at it again. He's standing out there in front of Holt's bank yelling at everybody who goes in. He's telling them they might as well throw their money in the street as put it in there. He'll probably lay off, huh, Doc? Yeah, well, let's go and see him, Matt. All right. You can say hello to him before I run him out of town. See that? Look at that. See? He just talked that fellow out of going in there. Uh-huh. Well, he'll quit talking soon enough. Yeah. Oh, he's seen you, Doc. Yeah. So he has. Doc! Doc Adams! Hello, Parsley. What are you doing in Dodge? I live here. What are you doing here? Well, I, I, I was on my way to Arizona, but I stopped here because I... Well, I, I guess you heard about Drew Holt and this bank. I thought I told you to lay off Holt, General. Well, I'm, I'm only doing my duty since you won't do yours, Marshal. You're a hard man to convince, aren't you? Well, I've already saved two men from losing their money today. Well, that's all you're going to save. You're through, General. I'm going to give you till noon, and if I see you around after that, I'm going to lock you up. You mean that, don't you? I mean it. All right. I'll go. No, no wait a minute. Um, Doc. Uh, yes? Did you ever hear a Drew Holt in the Army? That's the name he used, isn't it, General? Yeah. I never heard of him. All right, General. Till noon. Noon. Goodbye, Doc. 
Thank you. Goodbye, Parsley. Well, what was the thanks for, Doc? For keeping my mouth shut. Oh? Parsley Smith wasn't a general, Matt. He was the regimental butcher. The regimental butcher? He started out as a line sergeant, but they found out he'd lied about his past experience. He claimed he'd been an officer with General Scott in Mexico. It turned out he'd never been in any army before. Well, he's through now. I feel kind of sorry for him, Matt. He, he isn't a bad man. No, he isn't. And I sure hope I'm doing right. I didn't see Parsley Smith again that day, and I was glad I didn't. I'd have had to get rough with him. And I had no stomach for that. I did go talk to Drew Holt, however. I decided his gunman was the next man I was going to run out of Dodge. But he wasn't in his office, so I let it go till next day. And the next day started pretty early. Chester came and woke me up about dawn. Seems there was a gun battle in progress down at the edge of town at Drew Holt's house. There he is, Mr. Dunn, laying behind that barrel there. Yeah. Go tell those sightseers to keep back, Chester. Yes, sir. I swear he's gone plumb crazy. General! General Smith, it's Marshal Dillon. Now hold your fire. No, just stay where you are, Marshal. He'll see you. And I, I, I'll come over there. Yeah. Drew. Drew Holt's still alive, Marshal. But... I, I shot that gunman of his. He's laying dead on the porch over there. I see him. They, they was going to run off tonight, but I was standing guard. I stopped him. Give me your rifle, General. What for? I said to give it to me. Oh, you going to take over? Yeah, I'm going to take over. Okay. Here. Now, you're shaking. You been hit? Oh, no. That hole couldn't hit nothing. He kind of yelled once, though. I just might have a bullet in him. You better hope you haven't. You're in enough trouble now. You still don't believe me, do you? Doesn't matter what I believe right now. You stay here, General. Holt! It's Marshal Dillon. I got the General's rifle. You can come out. You got it, Mr. Dillon. I heard him yell. Yeah. Go get General Smith, Chester. Bring him up to the house. Yes, sir. Hey, General. Come here. Holt. Holt, can you hear me? You got me, Marshal. You did it. Smith winged me, but you did it. Yeah. An old fool. I should have killed him a long time ago. I heard you ran him out of town. 
I thought we were safe. <laughs> I sure was wrong, wasn't I? Is he dead, Mr. Dillon? He's dead. Now, you were right, General. You did have a bullet in him. Hey, look at all them bags by the door there, Marshal. That's the money they was running off with. I don't suppose there's any use asking you how you really came to know about Drew Holt, is there? I'm awful tired. Can I sit down in this chair? Yeah, go ahead. It's been a long night. I made that up about him being a spy. I thought you'd more likely believe that than what really happened. He was over in Abilene a few weeks back, Marshal. You know the Grant Hotel there? Yeah, yeah, I know it. Well, I had a room next to this Holt fellow. That's how I come to over here, them plotting this business. You mean you heard him through the wall? Oh, of course not. How could I? No, what happened was, I used to sit there in the dark with my window open. And they'd sit outside on a little balcony they had where they thought nobody could hear them. They didn't know I was anywhere around. Well, see, now, that was smart. <laughs> I fooled them good. Sure, sure did. Here, General. Seems like he's fainted, Mr. Dillon. Look. Well, he's been shot. Yeah, shot dead. Poor old fellow even lied about being hit. Oh, my goodness. But he sure wasn't lying about Drew Holt, was he? He knew about him, but we'll never know how. Well, he told us how he heard him and all. Yeah, but there was something wrong with that, Chester. What? The Grant Hotel burned down two years ago. Gunsmoke, produced and directed by Norman MacDonald, stars William Conrad as Matt Dillon, U.S. Marshal. Our story was specially written for Gunsmoke by John Meston, with music composed and conducted by Rex Corey. Sound patterns by Tom Hanley and Bill James. Featured in the cast were John Daner, Joe Duvall, and Vic Perrin. Harley Bear is Chester, Howard McNair is Doc, and Georgia Ellis is Kitty. Listen to Gunsmoke again next week, transcribed for L&M Filters. As originally heard on CBS back on the 2nd of July, 1955, that was General Parsley Smith was the name of that episode of Gunsmoke.
John Daner played sort of that same grizzled old guy on a number of episodes of Gunsmoke. Of course, they were always a different character, but he was so good at that voice. Very, very talented actor. And I love the way they just left you hanging there at the end. John Meston did the writer. And we don't really know. It's still a, a mystery just to us, just as it would have been to Matt and to Chester back there in the 1870s. Well, thanks so much for putting up with scratchy voices and coughing and sneezing tonight. Hopefully, we'll be all better for you next time. This is Bob Bro. I'm so glad you stopped by, and I'm so glad you met me. was a pup over hills and in valleys we strayed just a boy and his dog we were both full of fun we rode up together that way I remember the time at the old swimming hole I would have drowned beyond doubt. But old Shep was right there. To the rescue he came. He jumped in and helped drag me out. Now the years rolled along and at last he grew old. His eyesight was, well, was fast growing dim. Then one day the doctor looked at me and said, I can't do no more for him, Jim. So with trembling hand, I picked up my gun and aimed it at Shep's faithful head. But I, I just couldn't do it. I wanted to run. I wished they'd shoot me instead. So I threw down that old gun and ran right up to his side. 
He laid his faithful old head right on my knee. And friends, I stroked the best pal that a man ever found. I even cried so I could scarcely see. Now old Shep, he knew, knew he was going to go. Cause he reached down and licked at my hand. Then he looked up at me and just as much as to, to say, I hate it too, but you understand. have a heaven there's one thing I know old Shep has a wonderful home thank you